That got quiet really quick. I was moving back. I got to get back up there. We could say good morning a little longer. You guys hopefully are doing that online too. Open up your Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible, take the Bible out in front of you and um, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to start at chapter 1, verse 35, but we're going to spend our time um, starting at verse 16. So just kind of have that in front of you. And as you're opening that up, what we share almost every single week is that if you do not own a Bible, we want you to take that Bible in front of you home. It is our gift to you, um, and we there's, there's some significance to that, that invitation that we're going to actually be sharing a little bit later as part of our annual meeting and celebration um, potluck, and so we'd love to share more with you then, um, but for right now, just know that all the Bibles in this building, including my own, if you would like to take it um, as our gift to you so that you have the Word of God and the hope of His message Um, with you wherever you go. We encourage you to do just that. But for right now, we begin in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Let's let's say a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank and praise you for speaking to us through your word, that you're present with us. And God, I pray that, that my words would just serve as illuminating your words, your truth, as, as Wendy had prayed just a few minutes ago, that we would have something to take away with us that makes us more like you when we leave than when we came. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a great day, I'm feeling good, oh, the possibilities of what I could, oh, doing the world at my fingertips, my imagination brings a smile up to my lips, oh, fascinated, I'm moving fast, oh, I'm optimistic as the days go past, oh, opportunity is here for me, so come along and take a look. Just another day, unfortunately, wasn't it? Ted, that was your Tuesday, I think, right? Thanks for letting us have a camera crew follow you throughout all of that. 
I know a lot of us could watch that and relate. Carl Jung once wrote, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil, amen? And I think we can all say we've experienced that, and it's part of why we're in this series to begin with. Today we're in the fourth week of a series we're calling Airplane Mode. Uh, The subtitle of this series is Connecting to What Makes Us Whole. And the the whole premise suggests that we've got to disconnect from something in order to connect to something or someone else, the one that that makes us whole and disconnect from what's fracturing our fractured world. And so the first three weeks, what we spent time looking at is what's at the core of what is broken in our world and in ourselves. And it all comes down to this word sin. And we defined it based on a a book definition in um, the book that we're following some themes in, Good and Beautiful and Kind by author and pastor Rich Velotis. He defines sin as a failure to love. It's been a really helpful way to think about it. I know there's been a lot of really great discussion that many of us have had over the course of the last three weeks really chewing on this. And and it's a good biblical definition because it reminds us of what Jesus said when he was asked, what is the most important command? And he said that it is to love God and love others the way that we love ourselves. These two commands are what all the law and the prophecy hinges on. If you don't do those two things, you're not doing anything. And if you do those two things, you're already doing everything. Sounds simple, right? And yet simple isn't often easy. Just like hurry. It's simple to relate to that video, but it's not so simple to get off the treadmill, is it? You think about all the different quick scenes that you watched as this man went about his day, and there was probably very little that you can think about cutting out. The car needed to be fixed. The kids had a program to go to. He had to go to work. These are things that had to be done, and life can get busy. And yet I can tell you from painful personal experience that if, if our greatest calling is to love, love and hurry don't go well together, do they? You can't love your neighbor if you're too busy to get to know your neighbor. I can't love my wife or my kids if I'm too busy to spend time with them. I can't love God if I'm too busy with other things because when we're too busy, what we're spending our time doing is reacting when what we're called to do by God is respond to the opportunities around us and within us To love, which is the opposite of sin, to love the way that God calls us to love. And so that brings us to what we're going to talk about today, and that is asking the question, can we move from a life that is centered on reaction to a life that comes from a place of loving contemplation? And we're starting that question in the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels. Um, It tells the story of the the good news of Jesus, the life, the death, and the resurrection. Um, According to John Mark, who's a close friend of the disciple Peter... And he, I spent a whole semester focusing just on that book that's this short book. He is a master in the economy of words. 
everything that is said here. Every detail matters. And, and so what we find in chapter 1 is that we are already in the midst of the chaotic ministry of Jesus. And Jesus has chosen to select airplane mode in this particular moment to step away from it all. Verse 35 says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. How many of us think of Jesus, and this is the image that we imagine when we think of him, right? You think of him set apart, you think of him getting up early, making his coffee maybe, if that's your thing, and and being so diligent in the quiet hours of the day to come before God and to pray. And, and, And I think people even that don't know the Bible would probably imagine Jesus like verse 35, which is why I love verse 36 that says this, Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. This shows us that this whole scene is a little less monastery and a little bit more parent of a toddler hiding in the bathroom from their children. That sounds more accurate to what we're seeing here. Now, the toddler is Simon Peter, but everything else is the same. If you have young kids or if you've had young kids at some point, you know when they're little, it never fails, right? You you get this idea, you go to bed early, you think, I'm going to get up nice and early, I'm going to get up before the kids, and I'm going to have my coffee, I'm going to do my devotion, I'm going to do all that. And and that is the morning that they decide they have to go to the bathroom at 4 a.m., and they're like, oh my goodness, mom's awake, right? Dad's awake. So I imagine Jesus, this is what he did, right? He got up early. He tiptoed down the hall. He knows all the places that make creaks and sounds. And so he avoided all of those things. He silently puts on his sandals. He uses the one door to get out of the house that he knows isn't going to creak. And then he goes far far away to pray. And when he finds a place, he sits down and he's, he's nice and, and, and comfortable and he's meditating on the scriptures and he's listening for the voice of his loving father. And as he listens, he can hear in the distance, Jesus! Jesus, where are you? I looked in your bedroom. You weren't there. They're looking for you. The phone's ringing. You want me to answer it? I think it's for you. Jesus. That was his morning. And and, and you're going to appreciate it more if you look back and see that this is not even the beginning of the chaos. It starts several verses before this. Mark is an expert, as I said before, in the economy of words. And so the verse 15 verses summarize the backstory. The prophet Isaiah, John the Baptist, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, the announcement of the good news that the kingdom of God is near the proclamation and then in verse 16 Jesus calls the first disciples and it's in the calling of the first disciples that you cannot help but sense the urgency of the moment that they're in urgency is all over these pages look at verse 16 as Jesus walked beside the sea of Galilee he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. 
At once they left their nets and they followed him. And when they had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. At once, without delay, the response to the calling of Jesus was a response of urgency, which means that they had to stop what they were doing in order to leave. And, and if you like fishing as, as just something fun to do as a pastime, you might not appreciate that this was their vocation. It was complicated. It was labor intensive. There was a business mind about what they had to do. Simon and Andrew, for example, so they're, they're fishing along the shore. And the way that they would fish is that they would have this big net and they would throw the net out into the water and there's weights on it and it would trap fish underneath and then they would dive into the water and pull pull the net together around the fish, drag it out, drag it to the busy market so that they could sell them. For James and John, this was a family business. They owned a boat. They had employees, a whole crew, and they jumped out and left all of it and their dad behind when they responded to the call of Jesus. And so what do we learn here? There's, it's the first of, of three principles we're going to learn that if we want to move from a fractured, chaotic, reactive life to one of loving contemplation, and that is this, Jesus' call does not wait for life to slow down. Jesus' call does not wait for life to slow down. Jesus' call does not wait for your driveway to be plowed out. This morning, Jesus' call does not wait for life to slow down, and so don't wait for life to slow down for you either. Sometimes we've got to step away from good things in order to say yes to the better thing, to say yes to time with our Creator. And, and I said it before, and I've said it many times before, hurry and love don't go together. And, and we know this. If you've ever been with someone that you love, somebody that you care about, somebody who cares about you, and they're distracted, do you feel loved by them in that particular moment? No. Even if they're distracted by something in and of itself that isn't bad by itself. I, I literally, I had to practice this on Friday. Um, while I was working on the sermon that I'm sharing with you this morning, I, I work, the majority of Fridays I work on my message, and so it was Friday, it was 5 o'clock, I had enough words on the page, but I didn't feel yet like the sermon was finished. Um, you ever been working on something, and it just, it just I wanted to spend, I, I, I was in kind of a groove, I, I knew if I had just another hour that, that maybe I could, I could get it done and I'd feel good about it. The problem was, on Friday at 5 o'clock, I had a date with my five-year-old daughter, Sophie. We went to the daddy-daughter dance. I know there's at least one other daddy and daughter that we got to see there, so um, I, we were not alone there. And that was a hard line, and because I knew that she was more important at 5 o'clock on Friday than this sermon, sorry, she was more important than this, I had to put this down and say no to this, in order to be able to say yes to her. 
And I thought, wow, I don't know how I'm going to fit that in yet, but I'm learning this as I'm trying to figure out how to communicate it on a, on a radically different level, right? Jesus, in this moment, calls these men to follow him and to say yes. And because the gospel is about real people living in real life, just like you and me, that meant that they had to say no to what otherwise were good things. And so that's what they did. And, and then we continue, and they went to Capernaum, which is the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, and it was the Sabbath, and Jesus is teaching in the synagogue there. And that's all normal for the Sabbath, which, if you don't know, is the Jewish day of rest. And that is going to be a really loose term for Jesus when we go about his day of rest here. Because look at what happened. He's in the synagogue, middle of the teaching, verse 23. Just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure your spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And can you imagine, like you're, you're sitting in church right now or you're watching online, can you imagine in the middle of the message being interrupted that way? Like when I took preaching classes, I don't think they taught us how to deal with that. I, I, you know, Jesus, as he's thinking about what am I going to teach in the synagogue tomorrow, I, I can't imagine that he had a backup plan for if someone who was possessed by a demon got up and interrupted the message. I mean, we have babies sometimes in church that make sounds, and we love that. That is a wonderful interruption. But I can't imagine what this would have been like for him as he's teaching. And so what does he do? He performs this exorcism. And, of course, this is extraordinary. And so people are going to talk about it, not just within the synagogue, but in the entire region they began to, to talk about it. And, and there was this stir. And then afterwards, which was relatively normal, after they were at the synagogue, they went to someone's home for a meal. They went to Simon and Andrew and, and, and their home. And that's going to bring us to the second thing we learn. Uh, about moving from chaotic reaction to loving contemplation. And, and let me just read it to you. Verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and immediately told Jesus about her. And so he went to her, took her hand, helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. And so Jesus is sharing a meal with his new friends. And oh, oh by the way, my mother-in-law is sick. Can you heal her? <laughs> In the middle of the meal. Didn't, and, and on top of that, didn't Jesus just call Simon and Andrew to drop everything and follow him just a few verses ago? And now they're eating in his home. Why? Because not only does Jesus call us to say no and come out of the chaos, but he will eventually call us to go back into it too. He will call us to go back in. See, when, when we begin to move from a life of busy, hurried reaction to a life of rooted love and contemplation, it doesn't just bless us, but the people around us are blessed too when we leave and when we come back and we have the presence of Jesus with us wherever we go. And so look at this mother-in-law, right? This mother-in-law was blessed. Jesus 
healed her, and she was sick. And all of this occurs on the day of rest, the Sabbath. And so, so far, what do you see for Jesus? It's not been a very restful day. He's taught, he's performed an exorcism, he's performed a healing. And as soon as the Sabbath is over, which is at the sunset, verse 32, that evening after the sunset, people brought to Jesus all their sick and demon-possessed. They waited until the end of the Sabbath, and then they showed up at the door. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. If you didn't have your Bible in front of you, you might not appreciate that we are only two-thirds into the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And already, look at this. This is on the day of rest, and shortly after Jesus has been bombarded, his earthly ministry has barely begun. Do you blame him for the next verse that says this? Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Whew. Why? Because in the midst of a crazy world that's ruled by urgency, that will not let up on its demands, Jesus needed time set aside. And I get it. Because sometimes I do too, don't you? Sometimes I do too. And, and friends, if you wait for life to slow down and provide the opportunity, you might literally just be waiting forever. That would have been the case for Jesus because look at verse 36, right? Simon and his companions went to look for Jesus and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Of course, everyone's looking for you. He could have spent his entire life in that one town and still never left and had never done everything everybody wanted him to do. And so how does he respond to that? Verse 38, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else. <laughs> Everyone is looking for you. Great, let's go somewhere else. Apparently I didn't go to pray far enough away. No, let's go somewhere else, he says, to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Really important. If you have your Bible, underline that. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Now, in, in verse 38 and 39, the word preach and preaching, same Greek word that we see translated in the NIV in verse 15 as proclaim. And if you go back to verse um, verse 14, sorry. If you go back to verse 14, you'll see that is the purpose that Jesus came to bring in this proclamation that the kingdom of God is near, that the kingdom of God is at hand. He has come to save the sins of the world, to bring people back into the presence of God and bring God's presence into theirs. That was his higher calling. That was his purpose. And so he said no to certain things so that he could say yes to the ultimate thing. And that's the third thing that we learn. If we want to move from a life of chaotic reaction to one of loving contemplation, and that is that Jesus knew how to say no. And you have to know how to say no too. I have to know how to say no too. My, my small group we did a series recently based on the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. 
um, by John Mark Comer. I see a couple of people nodding because you've probably read a good, really good book, a book that maybe you might want to read maybe once a year just to be reminded. And the author quotes Corey Ten Boom who said this, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. <laughs> and then he goes on and expounds on that. He said there's truth in that. Both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God to other people, and even to your own soul. And friends, this brings us back to the heart of what we've been talking about all along throughout this series. If our world is fractured, if we need to be connected to God and to others and to ourselves, we can't be connected if all we're spending our time doing is reacting. And so the invitation of Jesus is to say yes to stopping. Don't wait for life to slow down. Don't wait until you have time. Say no sometimes. You might not be Jesus, but if Jesus could say no with all the demands that were on him, I think you and I can say no too because I think we all know we're not as important as Jesus, right? And if he could set time aside, then so can you. Set time aside. Pray. Connect the way that Jesus did in the midst of the chaos. All so that when we're called back into the world, the world might be just as chaotic as it was when we left it, but we will be changed. And we will bring that change with us wherever we go. Because, see, we could spend this entire sermon series on just focusing on what the problems of the world are. Uh, if, if you actually you want to hear that sermon, just turn on your favorite news station. Because <laughs> that's all it is. You'll get whatever flavor you want, right? We could spend all sorts of time doing that. And we could leave here not any closer to the solution. But do you know what will change the world? And you know what can change the world? And you know what we can start doing here and now? We can be changed. We can be changed by God. And then we can go back out into the world and be the change that God wants to see. The kingdom of God that he is using us to proclaim to the world is at hand. And I'll leave you with a story I read years and years ago. I think it was about 10 years ago now. Preacher's stories about a young, young family. They went out to dinner. And the husband wrote the story. He said, Last week, my wife and I, we took the kids out to a restaurant, and my six-year-old son asked if he could say grace. And I said, yes. And so we all bowed our heads, and, and he prayed nice and loud. He said, God is good. God is great. And so we thank you for our food. And God, I will thank you even more if mom lets us get ice cream for dessert. Liberty and justice for all. Amen. <laughs> And what you're doing is what the whole restaurant did. They were all laughing, except this one woman who was very crabby. And underneath her breath, she said in a way that she didn't think everybody could hear, but everybody, including the six-year-old, could hear. She said, that's what's wrong with kids in this country today. They don't even know how to pray. To ask for ice cream, why I would never. And hearing this, the six-year-old boy, the father wrote, he said, he burst into tears. And he said, Dad, did I pray wrong? Is God mad at me? 
And he said, I held him and I assured him, no, you did a terrific job. God's not mad at you. That was a great prayer. And as he did it, this older gentleman heard the whole thing and approached the table. And he said, he winked at my son. And he said, I happen to know that God thought that that was a wonderful prayer. And, and his six-year-old boy said, really? And he said, cross my heart. And then in this, this, this quiet whisper and, and kind of looking over and nodding at the woman who said the original statement that made him upset, he said, too bad she doesn't ask God for a little bit of ice cream because ice cream can be good for the soul. And he walked away. And the father said, needless to say, I got my kids big bowls of ice cream. And my son did something that I will never forget for the rest of my life. When he got his Sunday, he looked at it. And without saying a word, he picked it up and he walked over to the table of that woman and he placed it in front of her. And with a big smile, he said, here, this is for you. Ice cream is good for the soul sometimes. And my soul is good already. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. If we want to see the world take refuge in God, it begins with you and you and me taking refuge in him first. And I don't want to even dismiss you from this service without having an opportunity to make good on saying yes to that opportunity, to be still in the midst of the chaos and experience the presence of God. And so right now, as we are still, let's watch this video that guides us through a prayer, finding the presence of God is with us right now.